Welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gonzalez Cumberbatch, and I know firsthand that it takes a village to raise a child, but most importantly, that it takes a village to uplift a mother. A mother's village is necessary and can take up many forms. Consider this podcast as part of your motherhood village. No matter the season of motherhood you're in, every conversation will give you more tools to add to your parenting toolbox and you'll feel supported, inspired, and uplifted. So let's get into an informative and empowering conversation. Hello and welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I am on with a very special guest. I have Dr. B.G. Mancini of the Brain and Gut Institute of Research and Recovery. B.G., how are you today? Very well. Thank you. I'm really happy to see you in person this time. Yes, absolutely. Can you tell my listeners a little high level information about who you are? Uh, Well, first of all, I am a mom of two boys. Uh, One's 10 and one is seven. And I work with children and families to help them to reach their neurological, emotional and physical uh, potential. Awesome. I love that. Now, before we dive into the main conversation of everything, tell my listeners a favorite book of yours or one that you would like to recommend. doesn't have to be on motherhood. I know that might be a loaded question. (laughs) You're a doctor and I'm sure literature and reading and all the things, but if you can bring it down, if there's been a book um, and various levels that has really like that you, or that you just recommend that you're like, listen, read this book. If you had to break it down, you could do one or two if there's too much. Okay, so um, The Polyvagal Theory by Dr. Stephen Porges is one of my favorite books. I use it like a daily reminder of how to keep my nervous system in tune and how it's relating in our home, you know, and I share that information with my children a lot uh, so that they have that language Mm -hmm. with which to understand the dynamics of what's happening in our house. So we really do refer to that quite a bit. And then... My other favorite book with my kids, uh, my kids and I read, uh, read a lot is um, Peaceful Piggy. And it's a really cute book for meditation um, for kids uh, under the age of like eight. And it talks about Peaceful Piggy's day and some little tools at the end. So we still use that. I love how old are your children? They're 10 and seven. Okay. Oh, okay. So you're, you're heading into double digits, almost teen, preteen, yes. but then you have the seven-year-old. Okay. So that's, that's cool. This is the Motherhood Village podcast. So I always ask, because I feel like it's essential, who and what, and I say what because I think it can be a thing, who and what has been a very important part of your Motherhood Village? Well, I always say it takes a village to raise a me, let alone to raise my children. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you know, the the women in my life are the ones who have kept me uh, sane Mm -hmm. and anchored for my children's sake. And then, you know, even though I do what I do and I've done it for many years, when my kids get the sniffles or something comes up, I'm not treating them myself. I'm texting my village and my colleagues and I'm saying, hey, what what do you do for this? Mm, I love it. Because that is the network of support that my nervous system needs in those moments when as a mom, um, you know, all bets are off. Nervous system goes haywire when my kids are in distress. So I look to the other women in my life to help me. I think that's a good point because I think oftentimes women think, especially if you maybe have multiple children, I only have the one, but that like, you know, you've been a mom once you have it, or maybe you are a pediatrician or you're in the medical field or whatever aspect that is that you're like, oh, I have the information, but you made such a valid point in saying, but in the moment you're, you're, you know, as you said that your nervous system were overwhelmed, we're frustrated. All of that kind of goes out the window. Now you're seeing your child 
in pain, in distress, as you said, um, sick, um, and all of that goes out the window. So I love that because any mama listening, whether you have the multiples, whether you're a doctor, whether all the things like get your village because when you need to count on them, they will be there. So that's awesome. Okay. Let's jump into the Brain and Gut Institute, which I love it, how it's BG. And I'm sure I know, was that done on? In- so actually not intentionally. Okay. So BG is my real name. It stands for baby girl because my parents couldn't, couldn't think of a name. Okay. And so they released me from the hospital with BG Mancini on it. Oh and God. it just stuck. I love it. Um, and her, uh, calling it out, um, her, her uh, autocorrect wrote me last night, BB. And so I laughed because... Um, BB, when you're born, stands for baby boy. And I was in a restaurant um, a couple of years ago and a woman said, you'll never guess what my friends just named their little boy, BB for baby boy. And I spun around with my license. It was so funny. I love that. I love that. But no, the BGI, the Brain Gut Institute was actually the Gut and Brain Institute originally had the logo all drawn up. And my friends looked at me once it was done and said, are you crazy? BG is your name. So I had to reverse it. No, I love it. Cause when I saw that, I was like, when we talked on the phone, I had immediately thought of that. And when I've seen online, I was like, oh, I need to ask her, but I love it. Um, okay. So I know we got a lot to talk about. And the reason why we have a lot to talk about is because what you do, and I have to give credit to my husband is something that my husband, um, he's an avid researcher, God bless that man, um, for better or for worse. And has been, you know, educating me on for, for a long time. And it wasn't until our son was born that we decided, and again, not being perfect, but having grace with it, but knowing better on a lot of levels. Um, and I know that there is some things that we can do, you know, very easily, you know, to, to just transition, whether for things for our nervous system. So I'm very excited to have this conversation with you because education, as we were talking offline, I think we both believe is the foundation of everything. Um, so tell me about your journey into becoming a neurodevelopmental specialist and creating the Brain and Gut Institute. Again, I think that might be a loaded question, but where did the inspiration come to go that route? Why neurodevelopment? Talk to me about that. So, you know, going back, I want to say uh, 30 years, um, my niece was born with a double cord injury and she was told that at birth she would never walk, talk, or live outside of an institution. And my father had found uh, the, the Institute for the Achievement of Human Potential, Dr. Uh, Glenn Doman's work outside of Philadelphia. My aunt followed his protocols all about using mobility, um, which means patterning the brain, um, using either passive movement for the child, crossing left to right, using midline movements, also stimulating the visual systems, the auditory pathways. And I watched her recover, you know, and I was involved in some of those exercises and I saw the tools they were using. So it gave me a lot of understanding and faith right from the beginning that the brain's neuroplasticity really is there to build upon and to heal. And so I ended up working, um, one of my first teachers, I was around 21, 22, I started learning about food as medicine and working with chronic illness and cancer patients all over the world. And I watched them one by one allow their bodies to come into balance and homeostasis and they would recover. And so having had so many experiences of watching people um, when given the right opportunities to recover and to reach their potential again, um, when I became, I studied oriental medicine and acupuncture and I would have women, you know, moms mostly come to me and we would work on different things. And then about 16 years ago, 15 years ago, 
I started asking them, hey, how are your kids? And inevitably, they would all say the same thing, which was, oh, they're great. I mean, one has ADD, one's on medication, one doesn't sleep, one doesn't poop, one vomits before school because of anxiety, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Ooh, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, and when I noticed that this was happening with every mom I asked, I went, whoa, what's happening here, right? And so then with the experience I had had with working with food, with working with uh, neuroplasticity, you know, I really dove deep into how can I assist, right? And uh, because you don't know this, I'll lead right into it. When my youngest um, was born, I was very postpartum. I was PTSD from a super traumatic pregnancy. And I watched him start to have delays, you know, by four or five months, um, you know, with there are things that we can see, and this is part of why I want to train practitioners, even like when it comes to rolling over, five-month milestone, mm -hmm. you know, what really a lot of babies are doing now is they're falling over. They're using gravity to move. They're not using their visual system to implement movement. And there's a difference in the way that the brain develops. So I saw my son delayed, and I was so um, unresourced at that moment that I had to call a colleague in, thank God for the motherhood village, right? And I said, what do you see? Now, this is a woman I call Mary Poppins with an iron cane. All right. She will hold your hand till the end, but she is, her delivery is rough. <laughs> and so she said to me, well, I see what you see, this, that, and the other thing. And I remember my nervous system going into shock. And, sure. I, and I said, I know we do this um, with clients, but for me right now as a mom, I need you to slow this information down and talk like a little softer to me. Right? So all that was involved is doing some of those neuroplasticity exercises, one or two supplements, and he was really off and running again. And it was that moment, like within a couple of weeks, his army crawl turned into a two, uh, four-legged, you know, mobility. And in that moment, I went, even as, as really depleted as I was, I thought, oh my gosh, what about all the other moms all over the world who don't have the colleague or the friend who knows the village or didn't recognize those things, right? What about them and their resources? And that's really where I thought to myself, I mean, I have to get this as far and wide as possible. Did you jump into research mode even further? Because you mentioned oriental medicine, acupuncture, all those things. And I know in talking to um, someone who is also an acupuncturist in Coral Springs, that there's that's a whole nother set of like things to go to school for. What did you do once that happened? I mean, this is now your child. Um what did you, I guess, discover, uncover? And then is that when you decided to start the Brain and Gut Institute and kind of go full force with that? Talk to me about that. So I already had my own practice at that point, and I was already ahead of the COVID curve and working by Zoom anyway, for the most part. Um, but neurological development for children, I mean, my, you know, 11 years ago, we had what's called a, I mean, it looks like a jungle gym, brachiation ladder is what it's called in, in neurodevelopment. Uh, it's in our living room. And it still is today because things like those tools actually help develop the visual pathway and help develop their vestibular system. And those things scaffold brains to also support their ability to self-regulate. Wow. And that's something we, that as moms, we all know, right? As our nervous systems are less resilient, our children's nervous systems are less resilient too because they're recording hours essentially and developing their nervous systems based on mom usually or whoever the primary caretaker is. And so, um, you know, we used these tools right from the beginning because I knew from Glenn Doman's work that they were effective. 
I love that. Now you mentioned something about homeostasis. Now, a lot of my guests that come on, I am always, um, I stalk them. <laughs> I do research. I make sure to, if it's something that I don't understand or looking a little deeper, cause I want to make sure the guests that I have on is able to really explain, you know, the topics that we're going to talk about. So you mentioned homeostasis and I saw that on your website and you mentioned, um, helping, um, your patients or your um, clients, I guess, if you will, find their homeostasis and survive. What does that mean? Right. If, I, think, I think it's uh, finding balance in an unbalanced world. Yes, yes. Yes. So when I say that, it talks to the fact that, you know, if you think back a hundred years ago, right, babies were with their mothers all the time. Um, so there was their, there was proximity and with proximity comes cues of safety generally to the child's nervous system. And because of that, they, there's enough uh, research out there now that shows the cerebellum, which is the foundational level of the brain, develops differently with a child receiving cues of safety than it does from a situation where a child is not receiving cues of safety or receiving zero input whatsoever. So it completely undermines the next level of development for the brain, which is the social-emotional, and then comes learning on top. So if we are not scaffolding, um, and the other thing about 100 years ago or 50 years ago even, mm -hmm. children were much more active, physically active. So mobility, one thing I, I hope that people take away from this is that mobility is what builds the brain, especially when they're young. That's why for adults who are rehabilitating from brain injuries or um, who are at risk of developing dementia, they're told to exercise mm -hmm. because that cross pattern and increase in oxygen to the brain helps things. And for children who aren't even getting, you know, back then it was walking to school uphill and downhill, you know, uphill, downhill, whatever I it was. trees, all right. the things, you yes. Know, all those things, running, jumping. You know, my kids were told last year, no more kickball on the schoolyard because they could get sued if someone gets hurt. So, you know, mobility is actually, just because it's a new concept, it's a paradigm shift for, for families. Yes. Mobility is what develops a child's brain at the cerebellar level and in their vestibular system, which is necessary for creating their physical safety in the world to their nervous system. Wow. And I mean, it's, it's you know, when you're mentioning going back and it's like, yeah, I think um, subconsciously, because I'm sure there wasn't enough research. And if it was, we're not, we weren't discussing it on this level because obviously you, you studied it. So there was something there, but the way we were raised was kind of just what it was. It was a generation, right? It wasn't necessary because my parents were like, yes, you need to get exercise for this. No, it was like out of the house, do it. We it lived in a very different world. So it is kind of crazy that looking back that the way we were raised generations ago, actually there was something there for the development. Um, so I always find that that's a, it's an interesting paradox of the two. But there's a quote you have on your website that is that I want to get into when it comes to children. This is a motherhood podcast. And I always say, that um, I, I loved how you said um, um, that your motherhood village is for help raising you. And that is what I always say. I'm always like, look, it takes a village to raise a child, but most importantly, to uplift a mother. And I think mothers are the nucleus, but I want to take it to children because moms listen and they need all of the information that they can get. The quote on your website is, a child is not a miniature adult. Their brains are in the process of forming and require appropriate stimuli to create functioning narrow pathways. And I loved that. Tell me about the stimuli that is needed for children to grow and develop. And for any mother listening that maybe they're single mom and they're like, okay, BG, you're telling me all of these things, but I don't have the time. Then maybe flip it and say that there are some things that you can do to help stimuli 
or to help stimulus our children in ways that are the most basic ways that we wouldn't even think about. Like you said, whether it's having them run outside for a little bit, talk to me about what that is and the significance of that. So in order to help our children, we need to first take a moment and help ourselves. And it is the most annoying thing as a mom <laughs> to hear, don't tell me I need me time, I have no time, okay? And also that's making me sit and reflect in a world where I am uncomfortable physically, emotionally, and neurologically. Mm -hmm. Because moms, as a human being, we are not living comfortably or safely in our bodies. And when we have physical distress, emotional distress, um, inflammation in our brains, brain fog, we are getting cues from our body that says you are not safe to stay present. So we are checking out with our own devices, with Netflix, with binge watching, with, um, you know, drinking a bottle of wine, you know, all the things, those are coping mechanisms. So no judgment, right? Yeah. And I am, I am a mom and I am physically uncomfortable sometimes. So I am just trying to be mindful of what my sure. exits are. But it's so, you know, for years it was, okay, you know, people would come to me, mommies would come to me and say, please help my child. And I did. But what I learned through studying the polyvagal theory, which is all about how children's nervous systems are engaged by moms, I learned that to really make an impact for the child, we have to give mom the, the, the resilience that she needs back to her nervous system. And even if that is literally putting a sticky note up, okay, and reminding you that you're reminding ourselves that we are safe in our bodies. And even if we're in pain, and even if we are physically um, inflamed or uncomfortable, that our bodies are working with us all the time to help us find that balance. So I know that's annoying <laughs> because it doesn't answer your question, but I will get to that. Yeah. So, you know, the first thing I, I just want to remind moms is that you can just acknowledge with a sticky note, I am safe in my body. And even doing that will send a cascade of the beneficial hormones that will support your nervous system to make us feel more safe to actually stay present and engage with our children. Because if we're not able to stay in our body, we're not present to engage. You know, they're showing us something. We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm, yeah, it's great. You know, with the phone behind their head type of thing. And we all do it. So it's just being mindful of those things. Reducing it by 5%, 10% will get you some of the deeper interaction too that fulfills our nervous systems and returns some of that joy to parenting, yeah. which is the ultimate goal, right? Instead of white knuckling it. Because for moms, what I see is that if they don't address their own stuff and start to heal their own trauma then they end up white knuckling it, getting the child some support that they need. The child will get mildly better. Mom ends up with an autoimmune disease and burnt out. And there, where went the joy of what was supposed to be sure. the experience of being a mom in the first place? So that's part of the foundation of my work. How do we return some of that laughter and sure. joy into parenting? Because it's so filled with stress, worry. And about the homeostasis, I will answer your question, but in this world that is so unbalanced, where we have that fire hose of information and stimulus coming at us all the time, it is edging away at our resilience. So trying to just shut down some of that, that uh, external stimuli can help to recover some of the nervous system's resilience as well. Mm -hmm. So for moms at home, if you have a newborn, I have a free 30-minute course online. I encourage you to watch it. Um, We'll put it up on some absolutely. notes. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it really just talks about, hey, when your baby's awake and you're changing a diaper, you know, here's what you do with their arms and legs, just crossing them over in a, in a cross-pattern way. That develops their brain. Here's why tummy time. 
here's why those engagement moments are so important. Because so many moms say to me, I really just didn't know what to do with my child when they were awake at that age. It was kind of like a wait for nap, you know? So these are things you can just do while they're sleeping. It gives some cues about how to look for uh, what are food sensitivities, but are often missed because allergists are brought into the picture and they miss these sensitivities that cause these tremendous inflammatory conditions for kids that create the constipation, the diarrhea, mm-hmm. and all of those things. So you know, if, if they're that young, I would say check out the course. And then if they're older, you know, if they're one, two years old, um, you know, as far as finding uh, things to do with them, it's just what you were saying before exercise, you know, let them run around. I know it's frustrating and they make a mess and noise and all that, but that physical engagement of different types of physical activity, sometimes it's heavy pushing. Sometimes it's, you know, they might, they might have stimulation needs. They might have sensory issues Mm -hmm. that actually they need those um, types of movement to calm themselves down. Um, And then as far as neurological development, you know, I'm not sure if we've talked on, online about this, but, um, you know, the CDC recently changed guidelines. And so since that was changed two years ago, the reason it was done is because so many children were not meeting these milestones that for the first time since they were created, they changed them and they pushed them back by three, six and nine months, which is a lifetime for a child's brain. Yeah. So they said what you, what a child for the past 32 years has been able to reach as a milestone at 12 months and 18 months. Now they don't have to reach that until 24 months. So what we're saying is we expect less of children because their resilience is less, their exposure to too much time on the, on the iPads and those things. When really as a mom, we will do anything. Mama bears, right? They will throw themselves in in front of the lion to protect their cub. Right. Um, And so even though we're never, I, I never get all the things right at one time. You know, I always say, if my car is clean, my house is a mess, okay? <laughs> and so for my kids, I might be giving them the right vitamins that, that day, but then, you know, we might have had cauliflower pizza for dinner for three days, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it's about finding something that I feel is working for my kids and my family in a way that doesn't stress me out more, mm-hmm allows me to still look for those joyful moments. That's what I would say is, you know, where are you finding your joyful moments or where can you create them with your kids? Even though your stress don't feel well, they don't feel well, they're, ha- they're having behavioral stressors, um, you know, because the louder, so to speak, their behavioral expression is, if yeah. it's a challenge, that's the larger their, be- their underlying um, issue really is, their underlying challenge really is. So the behavior is just the expression of a physical, neurological um, discomfort coming from inside. So many thoughts that I have going on because this morning in particular, when you're talking about, well, actually two things today. One, there was a, a mom that I followed and she had put something about saying yes. She wants to say yes more often. And I had commented and I commented and I said, absolutely. I was like, but then when you do say yes, do it with a smile. Um, I'm very, very blessed to have this podcast because I learn a lot from every guest. I feel like it's like a, you know, it's like it's my master class um, and it's compounding. And, you know, I've done 150 episodes of this now. Um, so I said, and there was a guest on my, she was a mental health therapist and she was like, say it with a smile. Let them see, you know, don't just say, okay, 
yes, absolutely. Let's go play outside. Now, is that going to happen all the time? Absolutely not. But I had responded in saying yes. So it got me thinking about the joyfulness of it. So any parents listening, it's like, yeah, sometimes like you have to stop and think it's like, okay, well, what's the worst that's going to happen if they run outside in the rain or, you know, okay, well, they'll get dirty. All right, well, pack a towel in your car, pack some wipes, like try and think a little bit more. To your point, though, because moms are extremely overstimulus, um, over um, stimulated and overwhelmed, and all of the things, that is truthfully what makes it harder. Part two, I want to mention to that. So, because I have this podcast, um, I talk to my five-year-old like. And my husband and I made a very conscious effort of that from the beginning, like he's an adult. We always wanted to have very open conversations with him of just talking like, no, this and and having those. We just talked to him like he's a little adult. And um, I allowed him to express himself and all the things. And this morning we, it just, it, time was just not on our side. And um, I was more upset at myself because I knew better, went to bed, all the things. And I just talked to him in a not so friendly way of like, dude, like, come on, you know? And he looked at me and he was like, mommy, when you talk to me like that, it hurts my feelings. He's like, stop talking to me that way. And I just looked at him and his little face. And I said, I am sorry. I said, and you're absolutely right. I said, but mommy was frustrated. I said, and I apologize. And we just had this conversation and he was like, well, why are you frustrated? I said, because I've asked you 10 times to get your shoes and you wanted to finish watching TV. And we just had that he's five, he's going to be six. So to the moms listening, it's like, there is something about understanding your children know more than what you think they do and to allow them that opportunity. Um, so th- that's why I was like, oh, I love having this conversation because I know I know what you're saying works. I've applied a lot of those things and bringing the joy aspect into it. When I am... <sighs> When, when my, when, when my um, sensory level is down, when my cup has been filled, when I'm doing the things that make me feel empowered, that make me feel joyful, I, it trickles down to my son, absolutely. It's those moments when we're running late and all that, that yeah, I, I react. So I love how you said that because truthfully, that is the foundation of it all. You know, and it trickles down to be able to in those moments where you know better, you do better because you have a moment to stop and be a little bit more... Um, um, to pause before reacting as opposed to the opposite and being more reactive with it and because you're so frustrated. And I love what you said. I'm going to take that home with me about the smile because sometimes I'm like, yes, we can go do this. You know, and really it didn't cost me anymore and it gets me Correct. a lot more if I just had smiled since I had already said I'm doing it. Yeah. So I really love that. No, it stuck with me and I'm like, oh, that's so true. And I actually, I was like, think about when your parents have said it to you and you're like, all right. And you're like, well, geez, I'm sorry. I'm a burden to you, right? Like think of what compounding absolutely. over that where if you do it with a smile, absolutely I'll play with you. Even inside you're like, and we've had that talk too because my husband plays Legos with him and now he's at an age, like he'll do it himself. And he's like, mommy, you don't play Legos much with me. And I told him straight up, I was like, mommy doesn't enjoy Legos. I said, I enjoy doing X, Y, Z with you. That allowed me to show my expectation with him. Like, look, you and daddy, that's Legos all day. Me, not so much, buddy. And he was okay with it as opposed to me keep saying no, no. And maybe him thinking, well, what the heck, you know? So I think being, talk to your kids, talk to your kids, you know, and and as much as a way that they can understand. But I want to, I want to jump further because, um, you have also mentioned, you talked about the infant and the mother and connecting with the nervous system. And, and I, I get it. But you also mentioned something about serve and return engagements. Is that, can you talk to me about that? Or is that something worth talking about? Like, what does that mean? Um, and what happens in the child's brain when they don't receive that? 
So uh, Harvard did a really great study about this. Um, so serve and return is when you are literally staring at your, it can be an infant, it can be a two-year-old, it can be a four-year-old, and they know you. they have your attention, right? So you smile at me and I'm, I get the smile back and we're engaging like that, right? Whereas if it's a flat response, okay, that actually damages their self-esteem even at those younger ages. And they, of course, it's not self-esteem at that sure. point yet, but they found that over time, children who were not engaged with in a serve and return manner do develop more likely to have, you know, addictions issues, ADHD, um, and all the other things you can imagine, right? Because they were not given that foundation of connection. So even if, and I find myself doing this all the time for myself, you know, my kids are obsessed with chess right now, obsessed. And my little one, um, 15 times yesterday asked me to play chess and I, I explained mommy doesn't play chess. I've explained that many times because it's no fun. You guys beat me all the time. It's not even close to a minute. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I said it kind of in a rude way because I was kind of tired of answering the darn question. Right. But so then they want to play the games on, they play each other, they play online, they play in person, whatever. Then they want to show me the games they won and explain to me why each move. Of course. And I was sitting there just fighting my lip while I watched this 12-minute game <laughs> online. And then they look, are you watching mommy? Are you oh, watching mommy? <laughs> yes, yes. But, you know, in that moment, I was like, this is what I try to remember. In three years, when my 10-year-old is 13, do I, and this is a research I just read, he is much more likely to keep telling me stuff about his day and about what he's excited about yes. if I listen to him and get excited about his stuff now. Oh my God, that's so true. And again, I always tie back because the conversations, I talked with a TEDx speaker from Australia. I am manifesting that I can have a summit with all these amazing like neuro um, developmental like like people and all the things. Um, but she's, she's an aware parenting. You know, we have aware parenting, conscious parenting, but she's, I mean, her kids are in her 20s. And one of the things she said, and it correlates with what you're saying, saying is she was like, hold space for your children. She said, I had to learn to do that. Her kids are in their 20 now, in their 20s now. She said, but I had to learn to hold space that an hour after school, I gave them that hour like of undivided attention. She said, sometimes that meant they came home, they slammed the door and they went straight to their room, but I knew I was still there. And occasionally they'd come out. Hi mom, did you have a good day? Ugh. And 30 minutes later, they'd come out. She's like, but they knew an hour. Other days it came and they'd unload on me. Mom, I had such a day. She was like, but it was so pivotal. So we then talked about how then people grow up to get the ADHD, um, um, to want to be the thrill seekers um, into substance abuse because for their whole life, they've been seeking and being told that they can't hold the space, hold the space for um, anger, frustration, overwhelm, and now uh, not allowing. And, and it obviously it's going a little deeper in you saying that, you know, to look at this mommy, but it's all connected in saying, if you're allowing them to hold that space, then when they get older, they're not searching for something to continue to keep them at this level because they've been told they always have to be happy and this because all of those other emotions aren't okay. So um, the fact that you said that, I'm like, it's so true. And when she said that, I'm like, oh, now I understand when substance abusers are like, I'm always looking for that next hit, right? Or that next high when you hear that. Um, so it's crazy how you're saying the same thing and saying, yeah, what's going to matter three years from now if he's, if he's going to look back and say, yeah, mom, no, I think you still want him talking, especially when he's going to have more outside factors that you can't always control. Right. 
which I don't love. I know. You know, my husband <laughs> used to say, he would say to my kids when they'd be in the middle of something, he'd be like, okay, well, smile, be happy. And I was like, you, you don't say that. <laughs> you know, and I was like pulling them aside and said, no, no, we want them to feel whatever they feel. And that's all good. Yes. And my 10 year old came out of bed last night and he came to me and said, um, mom, and he was a little bit emotional. He said, I have been having this feeling all week, like on and off where I have some feelings of like sadness and then like almost anger coming up. And I think it's relating to like, I don't know. And then I start thinking about what happened last year with some things at school. Sure, sure. And so he was connecting these emotions. And so we have a, a, a technique that we use, a, a therapist friend of mine, um, she does something called sand tray therapy, mm -hmm. which if your children are having any relationship issues, um, trauma issues, grief, um, find someone who does sand tray therapy because it's it doesn't make sense why it works. All it is is they sit down, they pick from a room full of all these different figures and things and different, and it goes into the sand tray. Mm. And they sit there and they move things around. And let me tell you, I've done it myself. I've sent PTSD soldiers wow. for it. And they have these huge cathartic moments. The first time I sent him to it, he was devastated about stuff going on at school, just had a complete mental breakdown. I took him one time, he came out, literally his arms pumping in the, in the sky going, I am the master of my domain, because he physically worked out in the motion of these characters, and it just works. It's really amazing. I love that. Um, you talked about trauma. You talked about it earlier, and you're mentioning it again. What happens, and I think this is goes to the point of the mothers being the nucleus, but also the dads having an effect, right? I mean, my husband is a very hands-on father and um, my aunt-in-law is a midwife in Trinidad from a as a registered nurse midwife, but part of the Midwifery Association. And she did a TEDx talk on... Um, the implications of not having father around and the importance of that. So I always give love to the dads too. But um, what happens when parents have unresolved trauma and physical health challenges, challenges that are causing them to check out and are not able to engage with their children? But the part I want you to dive into maybe with that is how would a mother or parent even know that they have it? Right. And what I want to mention quickly with that is I, I went to a therapist and I thought we were going to talk about, I've been married before. I was divorced, married my high school boyfriend, all the things, whatever. I thought that was the trauma moment, like the pivotal moment of my life. I divorced at 24. It's a pretty big, pretty big thing to deal with if anyone ever has dealt with divorce and a life changing thing in that way. But when I talked about my childhood, she was like, oh no, we need to unpack this. And I'm like, my childhood I thought was good. But when I listed several things, she was like, oh no. I talked with another guest on my podcast about the PTSD of certain things and in our childhood and trauma. So I didn't even realize I had some of that. It wasn't until we unpacked it that I was like, oh no, this is some PTSD of certain things. This is why, oh, now I see the correlation. So talk to me about that. And like I said, how would maybe a parent recognize and should all parents go to therapy before having children? <laughs> So, all right, I'm going to talk about a specific therapy yes. that we know works, and then I'll go backwards as to why sure, and sure. unpack that part. Yeah. So Stephen Porges, Dr. Porges's work on the polyvagal theory, which helps us understand how we are all connected and, you know, created through these different mm -hmm. uh, developmental moments in our um, history as humans, right? Sure. And the tool that he created is called the SSP. It's called the Safe and Sound protocol, which involves headphones and listening to, um, over time, five hours of a specific type of music that he's filtered. 
And what it does is it uses the fact that the vagus nerve branches off from the middle ear, okay? And the vagus nerve is responsible for innervating basically 80 plus percent of everything in our body. So it's the, it's called the wandering nerve. It affects our digestion, our motility, it affects our speech, our, our swallowing, our brain. And so by using this tool, he's a researcher and he put it out into the world and he was working with PTSD soldiers and autistic children. Um, and what he found uh, is that soldiers started sleeping and um, being able to engage more safely with their families. Autistic children started to communicate, look people in the eye. And so over the past couple of years that I've used that therapy, what I found is that um, originally we would work with the individual, the child first, but really what I found is that as soon as we put the headphones on mom, okay, because when I would be interviewing a mom, because I always do like a quick interview to see if I I am the right person. If not, I refer you to the right person. And I would say, well, mom, you know, we really have to check in where your nervous system is because as a mom, our nervous systems developed to hear peep 2000 square feet away. And so we are constantly fight or flight and they all go like this. Oh, yes, that's exactly right. I'm so stressed, you know? And so when we started putting the headphones on them, they started sleeping more deeply. Their husbands got less annoying somehow. Their children, they were not as sensitive to their children pawing at them. The sound sensitivity that a lot of moms get was reduced, right? So, and as they started to feel better and started to be able to show up in a different way, enjoying their lives, as you said, right? Started to feel better filled up. Then kids started snuggling more. Kids started getting more regulated because children's nervous systems, as to the not being a mini adult, children need to first co-regulate, which means to connect and feel safe in order to regulate self. Mm -hmm. So if they are not getting that, they're going to find some other way to make their nervous system get stimulated in the way that they need. Um, Would that be why you see maybe more aggression in kids? Would that be? Because there were some of my son's friends and they're really aggressive. And we had a talk with my son and he was like, daddy, I'm not as strong as X, Y, Z. My husband was like, I don't think it's about strength. He was like, I think it's the aggression. And then he was like, well, why aren't I aggressive? And he has moments, but I told my husband, I was like, goodness, I think it's because we let him talk and let, let him like let it out. And I was like, you know, but then in my mind, I'm like, are we harming him in a lot? And obviously I know we're not, but I'm like, but I don't want him not to know how to whatever. And my husband's like, no, he's, he knows how to defend himself. And like, you know, because then the mom will be like, well, is, you know, is he just going to sit there and be a pushover? Like all of these things. But you saying that I'm like, is that why there are children that are maybe so aggressive because maybe they're not, or there's something with their, their, their stimulus that isn't being, or their nervous system that isn't being addressed. Um, and the one particular child I'm, I'm talking about, they just had a second baby. Um, and everything has been to baby number two and not to the older baby. So, and yeah. So you just took a can opener to a can of worms this big <laughs> as to why. Yes. Um, because, you know, now we're going to just quickly touch sure. on, you know, when you talk about aggression and um, non-regulation in the nervous system, we also, because I look at blood tests on children, mm-hmm. I look at their antibodies in their brain. I can see how certain foods are also impacting their nervous systems. Wow. So when I saw that, you know, talk about like I know. 
highlighting my research side, you know, when I started to see how, hey, behaviors, and then we take out certain foods because of the dyes, because of the excess sugar, because sure. of the inflammatory oils, yeah, you know, those things, and kids revolutionize, you know, their, their whole behavior status changes. Because if you, I always tell parents, if you were eating a diet of chicken nuggets, corn puffs, and pancakes, how would you feel after a couple of weeks? So, um, you know, even though our bodies are evolving to eat canned foods and packaged foods, I mean, that's just a fact. We're living on it sure. right now. It does not mean that we are living in an engaged, comfortable body. So true. So go back because I know you I, you wanted to answer about the un- unresolved trauma and right. the physical health challenges. How would a mother or parent know that they have that? Or maybe they wouldn't. Um, but I, I know I've read somewhere that we all have suffered some kind of, whether large or small scale of some type of trauma in some way. Yes. So how would someone recognize that? And if they can't recognize, I still, I mean, I'm a, I'm a advocate for mental health and, and therapy and all of the things. Um, so talk about that part of the previous question. Okay. So if you take your fingers and you touch your pulse and you have one, you have trauma. Oh. <laughs> okay. That's really like the reality. Wow. That's okay? crazy. Because there's even a beautiful book that was just written, um, on uh, birth, the forgotten trauma, okay? So there are so many different volumes of research on what trauma has occurred, whether it's big T, little T. I had a woman, she still would shake when she thought about her brother jumping out at her when she was seven years old, out of the dark. And, and she, for that, it like, and everything spiraled from there. Yeah. So all of us can think of moments in our bodies where we felt unsafe and sometimes still do or had something happen too big or too quickly for our nervous system to process. And if that happened, it became a PTSD. And unfortunately, what happens is beyond our conscious mind, we have a limbic loop of thoughts that are running behind the screen and constantly as that loop of thought of that trauma or that experience, as you think of these things even, um, a cascade of hormones come through your body validating as if that's happening in the moment. Mm. So that is why I'm not really an advocate of just talk therapy. Sure. Because all that's doing is hitting that groove again and again, and you're reliving it in the moment. Makes sense. So things like, um, you know, EMDR is something that you can look into. That's something where you're not talking about the uh, the trauma so much, and you're using a passive protocol, like either with the eyes or tappers, they're called. Mm -hmm. And that helps to physically um, cue the brain to release this trauma, essentially. It's much more involved than that. Um, SSP is a, is a really effective tool, um, somatic experiencing something that helps get you safely into your body. Um, not so much about, uh, this, makes sense. Yeah. um, but you know, to the, to the, how do they know, honestly, um, if, if you have moments or long extended times of sadness, anxiety, depression, um, lack of engagement, lack of joy in your life. Uh, there is usually something underlying that that has not been addressed. Um, if you have moments of when you feel fine, but then you have flares of things, that's usually an autoimmune type of, mm-hmm. um, and, and really all the newest research shows that much of mental health is actually autoimmune in nature. Interesting. And I know in talking with people that have had autoimmune um, diseases, 
that all, and I know that can be a whole nother conversation. It boils down to food. A lot of it is, is nutrition, but I know that's a whole nother can of like, next time, please. next time. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so as we're winding down here, a couple of things actually to go into food, I, I want to talk about this. Um, on your bio, on your website, you talked about your super food, superfoods. And um, I am an I, I am very big on helping moms understand again, like looks, it you know, make small changes, right? So um, we don't do we do nut butter um, that has like I don't know. I think it's the Kirkland nut butter that has like uh, the Brazilian nut. It's like a whole bunch of nuts and seeds for that. And for when my son was a baby and I, I give this recipe to moms all the time for the first couple of years of his life, his food, we would make homemade oat milk and we would take the pulp, the oats of that and mix it with raw spinach, raw kale, frozen raw spinach and kale, frozen berries, chia seeds, flax seeds, hemp hearts and dates and mix that up. And that was his food for like the first two years of his life. My son is, will be six, barely gets sick and goes to preschool and all the things. Um, so like I said, my husband, this is a lot coming from my husband of the research. So talk to me about the importance because I can say it, but you are the, the specialist here. Um, the bee pollen, the blue green algae sprouts, the juicing, the chia, the flax seeds, the superfoods. What are superfoods? And similar to what I said, what are ways that people can make those healthier choices without getting so overwhelmed and thinking that they have to go ahead and spend, you know, thousands of dollars, but where it could be those elements where they can make smaller changes, but for bigger rewards. Mm-hmm. I would say the very first thing you could do is get California olive oil. Mm. So you can get one at Whole Foods, you can get one Kirkland sometimes has a COOC certified one and take a, a tablespoon or two a day cook with it, do whatever you want to do for every child, everyone in your home. Okay. That helps reduce neurological inflammation and it's good for everything else in your body. The other thing is really, um, a good quality fish oil, something by like Nordic naturals. They have them for kids. They have them for adults. Um, it addresses nervous system health, neurological development, heart health, all of those things. Okay. So just to add in like a couple of those things first, And then you could pick from any of the things that you listed, right? And there's no wrongdoing. I know for myself, I'm very black and white sometimes, and I forget there's a middle ground. Yeah. So I'm either doing the, you know, so green smoothie, you need a knife to cut it, or I haven't had one in a month, you know? So similar. Right. So how do I find, you know, I try and keep some stuff on the counter, you know, I'll keep the, um, the vital proteins collagen on the counter, throw that into rice. That's actually a really good tool. Um, you can oh. take collagen and cook your rice with it. You know, sorry to cut yes. you off. Um, I don't want to forget. I cook my rice also with bone broth, sipping bone broth instead 100%. of water. Yes. I love the combination of the collagen. Yes. And put in a couple tablespoons of the olive oil in there too, because number one, it makes it taste delicious. Um, number two, they're getting some more nutrition in that rice, especially because my kids wanted to eat rice, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, I want to eat rice, breakfast, <laughs> lunch, and dinner. So, you know, a little bit of olive oil in there, you know, where can you add a little bit of nourishment, nutrient dense foods into what you're already doing before you start thinking about, you know, am I going gluten and dairy free? And, you know, and even that can be done very incorrectly because you end up eating boxed foods all the time. No, you're right. And you're, it's so funny. Cause again, I'm, I'm, we're the mom. So yeah, I'm very black and white. Um, so I'm, with my son, I'm like, absolutely all the things, Ezekiel bread and this and that. And for me, I'm like, I just have whatever's left over, which 
it's baby steps, right? I have the exercise part. My nutrition will, will come. I'm giving myself grace, but I love the collagen in the rice and making those small changes. I mean, I tell even mom, sometimes Jace's peanut butter and jelly sandwich, like I said, it'll be, it won't be the Welch's grape, but it'll be like actual jelly that, you know, you look at the sugar count, like those are the little changes. How much has additional sugar? Like when you're picking and choosing things, like look at the additional preservatives if there's, or um, if it has preservatives and things that you can't pronounce and things that you can't understand and the sugar level, like in the research and talking to people, it's like, that's a lot of the bigger things that, again, I know it can be overwhelming, but to your point, if it's like those little changes can make a very, 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 very big difference. I'll give you this, uh, this tip for the listeners because it's new and it's happening right now. Many different um, products, even existing products, have changed their formulations. And a lot of them are using things like inulin um, and chicory fiber, number one. So those two things, which can be very beneficial as prebiotics for the gut, can also be extremely irritating for some people's guts. So if you notice some things all of a sudden are giving you a lot of gas or bloating or your kids are complaining their stomach hurts, okay, look for those ingredients, okay, inulin, um, or chicory. And the other thing is a lot of foods are now adding uh, something called monk fruit um, to boost the sweetness without yeah. extra sugar. But that in itself can cause diarrhea, constipation, yes. for, depending upon which person has it. I know. So at the very end of ingredients nowadays, even those those of us who are always, I've been reading labels since I was 15. Yeah. Um, they are changing now in a way that I have to be mindful because my system does not tolerate certain foods and monk fruit, chicory, inulin are a couple of them. So I have had some very unnatural surprises. Well, and it's funny because I'll be 40 this year and this 39th year was, it was hard for me. And I think that's why it's been overwhelming because I I knew I needed to get the exercise and my nutrition, but for a while I was like, oh, I've always like maintained a certain way. Like I was like, I got this. And then I turned 39 and everything changed. Um, So I was like, all right, let me get into my physical. And then maybe next year focus on really my nutrition because I could eat anything before and not have any anything. And now I'm like, oh, well, this messes with my stomach. So it's, it's funny how you said that of like really paying attention and seeing that when your child's eating something, when you're eating something, like look at how your body reacts, you know, um, because I'm, that's something that I'm, I'm currently dealing with, but I want to talk about what's next for you. So, um, yeah, talk about what's next. Talk about actually the services that you provide and how people can work with you. You gave so much wonderful information. Thank you. Um, but yeah, talk about the services that you provide, how people can connect with you and what's next for the Brain and Gut Institute. So right now I'm focusing on, first of all, I'm always available as a resource for families and whether I'm the right person to work with that person or not, I'm always going to send them to someone who is. Sure. And I love being that resource. And part of why I'm creating a course for practitioners um, is because I want people who are already chiropractors, acupuncturists, OTs, PTs, you know, all of these other people who are working with kids and families already to have a little bit more knowledge. They don't have to be trained in um, any of these therapies, but to be able to recognize what they're seeing. Um, I'm actually potentially writing a book about this. Okay. Uh, someone had had uh, brought me the idea of putting it into a manual mm-hmm. for therapists. And um, so that's one thing. And then we're opening a really unique clinic in Delray Beach. Yes. And it's going to be called Vita. Okay. And it's been being built out for seven months. And the outside hasn't been started yet, but there's going to be this beautiful Zen garden um, 
space where people can come and really rest their nervous systems and have different engagements and things like that as well. And the, the purpose of opening this is to have a, um, a space where there's going to be resources for children, for families, um, also for neurological health, and not just like, okay, I'm going to chiropractic care or I'm going to acupuncture care, but there's going to be someone to sort of walk you through, hey, let's do an assessment and find out what's happening with your nervous system. We have this amazing, um, amazing uh metric system that we can use. And then we do this intake and we're looking at more than just from the Oriental point of view, more than the Western, from the trauma, from the physical metrics of what's happening. And then we prescribe to you, hey, here's what would best help you. Because when I am the patient, I do not want my friends who I'm going to see to ask me what I want them to do. I want to just say, I don't know. Right. And so much the same way, if if someone comes to us and says, well, I, I think I want acupuncture, okay, well, but you're, you know, that's going to pretty up your garden, but your house is on fire. Like, why don't we take a look at this too and give them the opportunity to find whole person wellness for their child, for their children and for themselves. I love that. I love the whole person wellness aspect of it. Cause I think you're right. Like you can go see the chiropractor and you can see the acupuncturist, but are they talking to one another? Is there a whole program that goes with it? The overwhelmingness with it. I think even in motherhood, I started this podcast because I was like, look, goodness, it's, it's very overwhelming. And I think moms and people in general are like, just tell me what I need to do and where I need to get there because even more so now, because we're so over, um, stimulated with everything. It's like, just help me give me the roadmap, you know, and, and help me kind of take those steps. That's what it is. It's called the family nervous system. That's what we developed. And it's, it's literally a roadmap on whether, you know, it's no longer working to just say, help my child. And almost every child needs help with something. It's, it's, we have to take that time to look at ourselves, um, and to work with our children. And that's part of the, um, the, the manual is going to have a mother, uh, parent-child um, guide as well to work through. So they both learn the language. Women are not taught this. No. You know, men aren't taught it either, but we're not given the language that you're giving your son um, of, oh, this is what engagement yes. in a deep, meaningful way feels like. This is what it, this is what my behavior is when I feel unsafe. Yes. This is what I can do when I do feel safe. I've had parents tell me they never thought about this stuff. I know it's so powerful. Um, and I love having the conversation and having, um, experts on like yourself, because I think a lot of times people write it off and they're like, Oh, it's foo-foo. Is it real? I'm like, no, this stuff, this is, you know, there's research. It's all research based, you know, in, in talking. And I'm like, and if you needed anyone to tell you, think about how you feel when you are validated. Think about how you feel when you're in a space to advocate for yourself in a safe way. Like, so imagine what that would do for your child and the relationship between all three. I mean, that's my biggest thing is like how do I, I tell my husband, it's so funny how you said you, you looked at your husband and you were like, no, we allow him to feel all the things. Same thing. My husband and I have had those conversations because um, he's a researcher in like things. But when it comes to the psychological and emotional intelligence, oh, that's all me, baby. So it's a great, it's a good mix. Nice mix. Nice mix. Um, But still, you know, and we've had those conversations and I'm like, no, he needs to know. I said, and the reason why, so that when he's 15 years old, you know, I'm like, I'm, there's, I'm like, this is a different world than even what we needed and was raised in. You know, I said, this is very different and I need him to understand that he can come to us about anything and all, you know, just those kind of worries. But I want, I always allow my guests to, um, I know you said people can connect with you and I'll put it in the show notes, but 
Do you have any, um, if you can summarize this wonderful conversation, but any final thoughts to the podcast community, anything that you really would like to leave my listeners with um, and kind of impart some wisdom before we um, leave here today? No pressure, huh? No, I know. <laughs> what did I just do for what the is last, your last hour? I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> um, you know, I would say that if, if as a listener right now, um, likely a motherhood, you know, a mom, mm-hmm. um, you are not feeling safe in your brain and body mm-hmm. so that you have a rich and comfortable inner life and are then not able to connect as mm-hmm. deeply, deeply or meaningfully as you want to or would hope to with your children and family mm-hmm. and are not engaging in a joyful, creative, and curious way with the world then there are steps and there is uh, help, you know, learning for for me, learning to just say I'm not okay Mm -hmm. was a huge step. And that um, there is, you know, putting the stick down, knowing that I was doing enough was super important. Um, And I pick up that stick every day and I decide to put it down. It's not so much that it's not always in my hand. Sure. And every question for my that my children ask me, I always think, you made me laugh, I was thinking, I always see them on the therapist's couch. Like, no matter which decision I gave them, it was a yes or a no, it's like, well, they're going to end up in therapy anyway, <laughs> you know. So I would just say that knowing that um, you are not alone and that if you're not living your, your life internally and connected and open um, to the joy that's out there, then find, connect see who else, um, just start raising your hand, red flag, white flag, I surrender, I need assistance and, and find those tools that will help to get you to that place. It's not a place that I can live or anyone can live all the time, but if I can't touch into those moments, then I am um, not able to keep the resilience I need to live the life I want to live. I love that. Thank you. Did phenomenal. Thank you so much, BG, for coming on, for sharing so much information with us. Um, I know it was a lot, but it was so, so imperative. So thank you for a wonderful conversation and continued blessings to you for love and light. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this impactful episode of the Motherhood Village podcast. Subscribe to my show so you'll never miss a future episode. You may also rate and review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone that can use it as part of their Motherhood Village. Remember, your village can take up many forms and you do not have to do it alone. Connect with me at themotherhoodvillage.com. Blessings to you for love and light.